Bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day. We thank you for this place that you've provided that we can gather together. Uh, We thank you for your word. As you tell us, it's living and active that you, uh, we can hear you speaking to us clearly today as we open your word together. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that your spirit would come and and lead and guide us into all truth, that you would show us exactly what you want us to see this morning. As we often confess, we cannot do this without you. We need your spirit to be moving and leading and guiding in this time, or we will be hopelessly lost. And so we pray that you would just come and you would lead and guide us in all truth this morning as we open your word together. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I want to ask two questions as we start. Uh, The first is, is this, uh, have you ever overheard uh, a conversation about yourself uh, where the people talking about you didn't know that you could hear, but you could hear what they were saying? Have you ever had that experience in your life where you overhear people talking and you realize they're talking about you? And so you get that. It can either be a really, really great thing or a really horrifying thing, right, depending on, on what they're saying, <laughs> Uh, and you think about that for a second. I mean, if they're, if they're talking poorly about you, it can be really horrifying because you're kind of getting unfiltered uh, information. They don't know you're listening. They don't know. And so their hearts are kind of being revealed. The same is true of as if it's good. If it's really good and they don't know you're listening, you're like, oh, right, they're talking about you and they're, they're saying good things, then that can be really wonderful if you kind of get that unfiltered information. If you've ever had that happen before, depending on how that went, uh, it could either be a really good experience, a good memory, or really, really bad, depending on the case. Uh, that's, that's kind of the first question I just want you to think about, if you've ever had that experience. And then secondly, have you ever had a conversation with someone who is very, very close to death? Have you ever had that happen in your life? And, and maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've talked to someone very close to when they were dying. Uh, uh, someone maybe close to you that you got to spend time with, and they knew they were dying, and they knew it was very close, and so you get to hear very intimate kind of that really hear their heart in those moments and uh, there's not a whole lot of pretense when you know that you're very close to dying that this is it not a lot of triviality in the way we speak in those moments Uh, I remember watching a movie years ago uh, where that scene kind of plays out like that it was a movie starring uh, Mel Gibson and it was called the movie was called Signs, and it's not really that great of a movie. It's all about aliens and crazy stuff. But, but there's a scene in the movie that's a flashback, and the guy had lost his wife, and she was in a car accident, and he goes to the scene, and they tell him, like, as soon as we mo- remove her from the wreckage, she's not going to live. And so you've got a few minutes to talk to your wife. And it's this really, really intense scene because he knows she's going to die, she knows it, and then they sit there together and they talk. And she tells him all about their kids. You take care of the kids, and this is what they're like, and this is what they need, and it's very much a mother's heart, and it's a really gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching scene that you can so see that. That's on her heart, her children, and their well-being, and you see that in there. And so it's a really intense situation, so maybe you've been in a situation similar to that, where kind of all pretense is laid aside, and it's just the very heart of that person in those last moments. So I mentioned both of those because the scripture I just read to you a minute ago from John 17 is really both of those situations rolled into one. Uh, John 17 is Jesus in the upper room. It's the last thing that we have recorded for us before they get up and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray, praying about the coming crucifixion and what he's going to face 
in that. And then he's arrested right after that and then crucified that morning. And so it's one of the last things we see Jesus saying to the disciples. And what it is in John 17 is a prayer. It's Jesus talking to the Father and them hearing what Jesus is saying about them. And it's an incredible prayer when you start to look at it. And so we're going to look at that today as we go back into the series about prayer. We've been talking about prayer and what that looks like. And we're going to look at this prayer that Jesus himself prays uh, for the disciples in the upper room. And I don't know if you caught it when we read it just a second ago, but in verse 20 he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is praying for you. He's not just praying for the disciples in the upper room. He said, I'm also praying for those that will come to believe in me through their word. And so he's praying for all believers. It's an incredible thing to think about when we think about the prayer that's recorded for us in John 17. Jesus praying for us. And so what I want us to think about when we think about this this morning in light of prayer and what we've been talking about, what we're going to do for the next several weeks is we're going to take John 17, then we're going to take John, or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Right? Most of you know the Lord's Prayer pretty well. Uh, it's one of the most famous uh, scriptures there is. Oftentimes we know uh, without even thinking about it. And say, our Father who art in heaven, and you immediately can go, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You can start working your way right through that prayer. And so what I want us to do is take probably the two uh, most giant of all prayers in Scripture, both prayed by Jesus. One, Jesus teaching us to pray. That's really what we call the Lord's Prayer, which we've kind of got that backwards if you think about it. That's what we pray as the disciples we pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer, which it's really what we pray. And then John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> That's what Jesus prays, but we often refer to that as the high priestly prayer, that he's interceding, praying on our behalf as our great high priest. And so we often call that the high priestly prayer. It doesn't really matter what we call them, but those are the two that we're going to look at together. And what we'll see is the way Jesus prays for us, God's heart for us, and then you put that with how he teaches us to pray, and you see how they go perfectly together. And so I want us to think about those two together as we, as we think on this idea of prayer. If you were with us two weeks ago, we kind of took a brief hiatus from the prayer series for Easter last week. But if you were with us two weeks ago, we talked about when Jesus prays. We looked at all those times in his life, and what we saw is Jesus prays all the time. In his earthly ministry, every day, whether he was busy, whether uh, things were going well, things were going bad, whether he's being crucified, he's dying, every single part of his life he's praying. He's praying without ceasing. He's praying in all things. But today, as we start in this, I really want us to think about how he pray, prays and really how he teaches us to pray. And so he's going to hit on a lot of things. When you read through John 17, you start to see some themes come up and some things that he's praying for. He's praying for our unity as believers. He's praying for mission. He's praying for God's glory. He's praying for you. He's praying for perseverance. He's praying for all these things. And we're going to think on those different things the next couple weeks as we think about it. But today, I want us to really hit on one thing as we put uh, the Lord's Prayer our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just that beginning, the way Jesus starts with what he says in John 17. And so look at what he says in verse 11 here in John 17. He says, I'm no longer 
uh, in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Right. Jesus praying for us. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. And so what I want to focus you on is just the way he says that there. Keep them in your name. He's praying for all of us that keep us in his name. And then you think of the way he starts the Lord prayer as he teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pretty, see the connection there, right? What Jesus teaches us to pray, what he prays for us. I just want us to kind of focus on that this morning. And so I want us to think on that. And so here's what I want us to ask as we do. First, what are we praying for when we talk about that? Hallowed be thy name, what Jesus is praying for us, staying in his name. What are we actually praying for? Secondly, how do we do that? And then lastly, I'm just going to give you a couple of things. We're just going to scratch the surface on what happens when we do. When we are actually seeking to hallow his name, staying in his name, what begins to happen in our hearts and in our lives and through us. And so I'm just going to scratch the surface on that, but that's where we'll end up today. And so really, you can think of this week, uh, the start of maybe four or five weeks, all kind of one sermon. (laughs) And so I'm not going to do a two and a half hour sermon, so we'll split those up over the next few weeks, but start to look at what he teaches us and then how he shows us to pray. So let's start right there at the beginning of what are we praying for? And so when we say our Father, hallowed be thy name, it's almost, uh, uh, there's a danger here, and I want to warn you as we even begin to think of that, it's easy for us to kind of go to autopilot. That's such a familiar text that we say it, you can immediately start to fill in the rest of it, and we can run right past it. And so I don't want us to do that. I want us to rest on what Jesus is actually praying for, and what he's saying, and what he's talking about when he wants us to stay in his name, He wants us to hallow his name as he teaches us to pray. And so I want you just to think big picture when you come to faith. Uh, Great commission. It's the last words Jesus speaks to us right before he ascends into heaven. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. Right? That's, That's the great commission, what we call kind of our marching orders is the church. And right in that, he says, I want you to go and make disciples and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about that picture of what he's telling us and what that means. When we talk about baptism, Jesus telling us to baptize us in the name, we often say, this is kind of the way we'll talk about it here, is baptism is really the, the front door to the church. When we're baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're being adopted into God's family through what Jesus has done for us in his name. We are now being brought in. And so what baptism is, is a a visible sign, an outward visible sign of an inward spiritual reality. That's the way we could say it. We're showing kind of what God's done inside of us when we're baptized. Right? So through Jesus... We are adopted into God's family. We are his beloved children. Jesus takes all our sin, restores us to our relationship with God. Now indwells us in the Holy Spirit, begins to remake our heart. Uh, The scriptures talk about we are now a new creation. We were dead in our sins. We are now alive in God. That's that picture of baptism. Right? Our old self goes down, our new self comes up, we're being now uh, living in the Spirit, we're a new creation, that's what that picture is. And, and so what it is, in a lot of ways, is, is now we are part of God's family. 
We're being brought in the front door. We're now part of his taking his name and who he is. And so start to think about what that picture is like. It's not just when we say, hallowed be thy name, that you don't use the Lord's name in vain. Right? If we say that, now that's true, it tells us we shouldn't use the Lord's name in vain. I'm not saying that's wrong, but if that's all we see when we think about hallowing his name, we're missing a huge amount of what that actually means. You are now taking on his name, coming into his family, and now we are the body of Christ. We're a family of faith. We're now his hands and feet in the world. That's how people see what he looks like, the way we treat each other and love one another. We've taken on his name and we're representing him in the world. And we identify ourselves as disciples of Jesus. And so when we start to talk about hallowing his name, we want to live out our identity of who we are in Christ to all those around that we would see that, that we would stay in his name as Jesus prays for us that we would live out of who we now are in Christ in all things and always everywhere we go. And so he's praying that we would stay in his name, that we would hallow his name in everything we do. And so just think about the picture that's there. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. The picture that we see in Scripture, when Jesus goes to the cross, and Scripture tells us, and he, he takes our sin on himself, 2 Corinthians 5, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He takes it on Him. He bears the wrath of God in our place. And then now He makes us favorable toward God. We can now be accepted into His family because of what Jesus has done. And so when Jesus finishes that work and He bows His head, He says, it is finished. And it tells us that the temple where the Holy of Holies, where the very uh, presence of God dwelt, there was a huge curtain. It was six inches thick. Think about a piece of cloth that big. It was torn in two and it fell open. And the reason it falls open is now the Spirit goes out and it dwells in you and not in this place. You now are the temple. God now lives inside of you. Think about that picture that's there. You're now part of it. You're now brought into it. And we get to go out and be part of who He is. We're now the, the church. That's what we were talking about this morning. The church isn't this building. It's you. It's people. Together we make up the body of Christ. And so when we talk about staying in his name, hallowing his name, we're living out our identity that is now ours in Christ. And so the picture that's there is far more than just uh, we don't take his name lightly. It's our entire being and how we now live and move. And so Jesus is praying for us in that, keep them in my name, when he teaches us to pray, he teaches us to say, hallowed be thy name. He teaches us that. And so when we start to think about how Jesus prays, he's praying for God's glory in all things. And so when he sends us out to make us disciples, we're to make disciples of all nations. We're spreading his glory over the face of the earth. You know what Habakkuk 2.4 says? It's one of my favorite verses. The glory of the Lord will cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's going to happen. And so we get to be part of that as new creations, God remaking us, redoing that, giving us His name, and we get to go forth, staying in His name. So He prays that we would stay in His name, spreading His glory to the corners of the earth. That's the first part. So how do we do that? 
How do we grow in that? How do we begin to do that? And so look at some of the things Jesus says here in John chapter 17. The first thing I want you to see is, is start in verse 6, 6, 7, and 8. Actually, you could even go back. Uh, go, to, go 6. I don't want to get too all over the place. Uh, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Right, Jesus to the Father, I've made known who you are. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Do you hear what he's saying? Right? They now realize who God is through what I've done. That's what Jesus says. I've revealed to them who you are, Father, and they've come to believe it. He'll say it over and over as you read through this picture. He'll say it uh, in, in verse 19. He'll say, And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Remember, this is right before Jesus goes to the cross. He's talking about, I'm going to lay myself down for them that they can come into the fullness of this relationship. And so when we start to think about staying in the name of the Father, what he's talking about, staying in his name, hallowed be your name, the first thing we say when we have to do that is it has to be, has to be through Jesus Christ in no other way. It can't happen any other way. We cannot hallow his name. We cannot make much of who God is apart from Jesus Christ. There's no way around it. It has to be through what Jesus has done. If we try to do an end around and take Jesus out of that equation, we're not actually showing who God is. Jesus has shown us exactly who God is and what that looks like. And so it has to be through Jesus' finished work and what he's done for us that we even begin. Now, I know that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty, I'm going to say that every time we gather together. It's always completely going to be through what Jesus has done. But then when we start to think about how we actually live that out and walk that out, the picture emerges that it has to be in complete and total dependence on him. It's not just through Jesus, but it's through the power that he's given us in him. Look at verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Remember, that's you. That's all believers, anyone that's putting their faith in Jesus. And he says that they may be they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Right? And so he shows this picture of the Father being in the Son and the Son dwelling in the Father. And he says they're completely and perfectly one. They go together. Think of what Jesus says as he, as he explains his relationship in the Father. What does that look like, the relationship of the Father? So he says he wants us to be in it in the same way that the Father and the Son interact together. So what does that look like? I think of John chapter 5 where Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For us to be in him... Staying in his name, hallowing his name, it all has to be about what Christ has done and what God has done for us and staying in that complete and total dependence on what God's done for us. It doesn't work any other way. I've been saying this a lot as I've been talking to different people, but there's a picture in Scripture that our, our being has to come before our doing. 
If we try to switch that order, it doesn't work. I'm going to go do some things and then God will accept me or things will be okay. That doesn't work. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the picture. To actually hallow his name, to stay in his name, to be about who God is, it's always going to be completely and totally dependent on him and what he's done for us and not the other way around. You understand that picture? It has to be that way. So Jesus says, I only do what the Father has told me. And then he paints this picture of us doing the same. We just sang it. Phil introduced that to you and he said, "Uh, this new song we're going to sing. I asked him to sing that song. It is probably my favorite song in the world right now. And I sing it every day in my car. And the reason is not because the music's really cool or any of that kind of stuff. Although I like the music. It's because of the words. He says, I stand in faith, I run the race, I slay my sin, I reach the end, and it's all by grace and grace alone. doesn't work any other way. And so when we talk about hallowing his name, staying in his name, it's always going to be in complete and total dependence on what Jesus has done for us, and then we live out of that, and if we switch that order, it doesn't work. And we're not in his name, and we're not hallowing his name, because it's all about us and not him. And so it has to all be what he's done for us. That's where we start, and that's the way it has to work. Now, hopefully, when you hear that, when you think about that, you see why prayer is so incredibly, vitally important in our lives. It's really, really hard to be completely dependent on God in all things when you're not talking to him. It just doesn't work. It can't work when we're doing that. When we're not ever talking to him, we're not walking with him, we're not relying on him in all things. And so you see that picture of prayer life and dependence on him go hand in hand. They have to go together. And so when he's praying for us, keep them in my name. Keep them in your name, Father. And he teaches us that. It's so important that we connect how prayer is so vitally important to that. Now there's an objection that arises, and you may not have it, but I know people that do, and I guarantee you, if you don't personally have it, you know someone who does. People, some people will hear this idea that the Christian walk, this faith, is complete and total dependence on God and everything. And I go, that sounds horrible. Why would I want to be completely and totally dependent on anyone? Right? We have this idea in our society that freedom is no one can impose anything on me. I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and nothing else. I've heard some people say, well, religion is just trying to keep you under control, right? if, if you've ever heard that before. But these are pretty common objections today. And so when we talk about being completely dependent on Christ and all things to hallow God's name, some people go, ugh. And maybe you have that objection. Maybe you sit here today and you go, I don't know about that. Or you know someone who does. Let me just real quickly, the biblical picture that's there. The creator God of the universe that made you He made you to be in relationship with Him. He made you to walk intimately and closely with Him in all things. He made you to glorify, that is, reflect back who He is in all ways and all things. That's the way you were made. That is at the very center and core of your very being. And so when we begin to make our entire lives center around Him being completely dependent on Him, your greatest joy and freedom will be found in that rather than anything else. It's the only thing that will ever fill you up completely, and it's Him. 
complete and utter dependence on Him. You will be most you, you will be most human when you are in Christ and you're completely dependent on Him rather than anything else. This is what Scripture teaches and what it tells us. This is not a bad thing. This is a wonderful, joyous thing that we get to be part of that God allows us to be in on. It's an important distinction to make when we get to people who have that objection. Last thing here, just as we think about how do we grow in this. I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer for just a second. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Almost all scholars agree that Jesus would be speaking Aramaic as he taught that, and that he would have used the word Abba for Father. Right? That he would have taught us to teach by saying Abba, Father, which really in our language would mean uh, Daddy. Dad, that Jesus taught us to pray that way. Daddy, hallowed be thy name. And we start to think about the picture that's there and what he's talking about as he's teaching us. It would have been pretty radical in his day. To come to your Father God who's creator of all things and call him Dad. Right? But he teaches us to pray in that way. Daddy. It's the way he teaches us to pray. Jesus teaches us to come to God as our perfect father, our perfect daddy. The hard part, and I realize this, when you say that, pray to God as your father, as dad, that might be a very negative connotation to some of you. The truth is, depending on where you grew up and what your earthly father looked like, the idea of calling God daddy may sound horrible. There you go. Ugh. And what we often do is we project onto God something we saw in people and those things that we hear. But please hear me. God is the perfect, loving Father in every way. If you had a bad situation with your Father, that's not what God's like. God is perfect and loving and caring in every and complete way. We've talked about this a lot recently, but when we see Jesus, we see God. Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, John 1, we've seen this over and over. Jesus is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. When we see Jesus, we see God. Loving, perfect Father in Jesus. We see it perfectly. Loving and kind and gracious and forgiving and long-suffering. We talked about it just last week as we gathered for Good Friday. Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. That's what our dad's like. Even when we don't deserve it, it's, just, it's okay. Come on. I love you. I welcome you. And so Jesus teaches us to pray in that way. And so when we think about how do we grow in this, how do we hallow his name, how do we see it as he is, we pray to him as loving father. We pray to him as he is. That's the way he's revealed himself. Look at what Jesus says here uh, in verse 6. To eight. Go back to that for just a second. I'm just kind of hit by this this week. He's praying for us, but even here specifically he's praying for the disciples. So think of who's in the room with him. Right? Judas has just left. It's the 11. But think of the nitwits that are around him. You've got Peter <laughs> who's going to cut off an ear in just a few minutes. And you've got like this whole group. of They're arguing over who's going to be at his right hand. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They're missing all these things, but then listen to what he prays. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, and I have given them the word that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Do you see how he prays about the disciples? Do you see how he prays about you? They believed. And they're holding on to it. He prays the way when I talk about my kids. When I tell you about my sons, I don't go, oh man, they're so miserable and they're hard sometimes and they're this or that. I tell you the good things. They're sweet kids and they love each other and they do neat things and they look this. You know, I, I do that. And then I read that my father talks about me that way. He's believed it. And he sees who I am. And that's the way he prays for us. That's the way he talks about us. That's the way your heavenly father sees you. It's an incredible thing when you start to think about the way he prays about the disciples and all those crazy things they did and all the areas they weren't quite believing and all those things. But yet he says they've believed who I am. And they see you and they've come to know you in that way. And so he begins to show us what that looks like. He's the perfect father. He's the perfect daddy. That you can come to him in all things right where you are. And you see that even the way he prays. I think about when your kids do do something wrong. Or they break your heart. Or you're disappointed. And you think, how, how do you respond to that? I think of different times when my kids have done things that was just really, you know, got in trouble at school or they did something or whatever it is and your heart's broken or they did something really dumb and I'm saddened and I'm upset but then I want to just go hold them and tell them, it's okay. I forgive you. You're forgiven and it's all right and we'll move on and you tell them those things. And then I have Jesus' words ringing in my ears that say, if you who are a sinful father, knows how to give your kids good gifts, how much greater is the father? That's the kind of dad we have. Right? You think, well, yeah, I would forgive my kids, but I don't know that God would forgive me. What? That's not the picture that's there at all. You have the perfect, loving father. And so when we say that we want to hallow his name, it has to be how he's revealed himself, who he is. We have to stay in those things. And so as we end, I just want to think about a couple of things that as we grow in those, what happens? And I'm just scratching the surface. And I want to, I'm going to give you an assignment as you leave. If you begin to see God as he is, staying in his name, the way he's shown himself to us, what will that change in your life? What will begin to happen to you when you actually are believing that and walking in that? And I want to give you just a couple to think about, but then I want you to go thinking about what is now true of you in Christ. Being in His name and what He's done for you. But a couple I want you to think about. First, when we begin to think and see Him as He is, uh, uh, we've been talking about prayer. We've been struggling with this idea of prayer. I've heard lots of people say this to me. Yeah, when you said, man, it's hard to pray and hard to fight. That's me. Right? Everybody says that. And I know. I know it's me too. It's hard at different times and we struggle with prayer in different ways. I've had four different people in the last two weeks tell me the exact same thing about, man, I get to the end of the day and I'm really tired and I start to pray and then I fall asleep. And I feel terrible. I can't believe 
I fell asleep when I should be praying, and I know I should be praying, and what does that look like? And, and so I, I remember hearing this years ago. I think it was Brendan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, and he was talking about God of grace and what that looks like. And he said, how do you feel, uh, how would you feel if you go out and you have a really busy day with your kids and you get home and your son crawls up in your lap and he starts to tell you about all the things you did that day? And you're recounting them together and you're walking through it and he's exhausted and all of a sudden he falls asleep. How do you see your son in that? How would you, how would me, as a sinful father, see that? sweet, wonderful time that I get to spend with my child as he tells me what's going on. But yet we don't see God that way oftentimes. And so when we see him as he actually is, you stay in his name, you hallow his name, you begin to make much of who he actually is and the way he's revealed himself. And so just practical outworking of that is no matter where you are today, start talking to him. Your name is dependent on what he's done, not what you do. So you can come at any time and begin just to tell him. If you lay down tonight and you pray and you fall asleep, then just get up and start talking to him in the morning. He didn't hold that against you. He's the perfect father. And he loves you completely and totally. And so if you're struggling with wherever you are in praying, don't let that be uh, something that keeps you from praying. Second thing I want to tell you real quick, and I think we'll just end here this morning. But as we do this, as we see him for as he is, when I read what he says about us and about the disciples there in verse 7 and 8, it begins to melt the critical spirit that I often can have. I don't know about you, I'm talking about me. It's easy to be critical and go, oh, well, they're not doing that quite the way they should or those kind of things. But when I see the way my father treats me, he believes, I've given it that picture that's there in 6, 7, and 8, it begins to melt my own critical spirit to start to treat people the way my father treats me. Does that make sense? When I want to hallow his name, I want to stay in his name, I want to glorify him in the way he lives, and then he treats me this graciously and this lovingly, how can I not do that to other people? begins to melt my critical spirit in different ways. You think about that picture when you, when you see uh, the way your father treats you, then how can I not treat others the same way? It should be a practical outworking in who we are. We are a child of grace. Right? What we just sang just a second ago. I stand in faith, I run the race, I slay my sin, I reach the end, reach the end all by grace and grace alone. So how can I not respond to other people that way? And so I want you to think about that. I'm, I'm going to end there. I had some more, but I'm going to leave those and let you think about them. I want you to think about what happens when we are in his name. We are hallowing his name. We are doing that. We are making much of him. What are the practical outworkings of that in your own life, in your own heart, that you would begin to see that and question that, ask him to show you what that looks like to hallow his name in all things and in all ways. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our Father, that we can come directly to you, that you've told us in all things to come to you, to bring them before you, that because of what Jesus has done for you, we can come boldly and stand right before your throne and lay all things before you, that we can talk about you, uh, with you, 
all things, that we can ask you all things, that you will teach us, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would, in my own life, and those here gathered together, uh, your family, those that you are praying for right here, that we would do that. We would remain in your name. We would come to you the way that you've revealed to us, and we would do so just glorifying and seeking you.